Welcome to the Wild Joy Podcast, where together we will be exploring the many ways we can holistically create greater joy and vibrant health in our lives. My name is Amber, and I'm so grateful you're here with me. So let's jump in. All right. Hello, everybody. Nice little like four or five month break in recording there, but I am back. I am so excited to be back and I'm really excited today to talk to you about um, stress and anxiety and trauma and the way it affects our body. A few episodes back, we talked about the way it affects the brain and kind of what to do about that. Today, we're going to take it into our bodies um, and focus more specifically on one particular aspect that is super relevant in the middle of a pandemic. So I want to start first by talking about some definitions so we're all on the same page. Um, Oftentimes, stress, anxiety, and trauma are used interchangeably, but they are actually three separate things, and it's really important that we understand those distinctions. Um, So stress can be either acute or prolonged, but the working definition of stress for the purpose of what we're talking about today is really a constraining force or influence, such as a physical, chemical, or emotional factor that causes bodily or mental tension. And this can be a factor in disease causation. The longer we are under stress, the more it changes our brain and our body. Um, Before I mentioned acute and prolonged, acute um, we'll dive into in a little bit, but it's uh, periodic. It's one particular tangible thing, whereas prolonged um, happens over a long period of time. Um, So then uh, we move into anxiety, which is defined as an abnormal or overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear. This is often marked by physical signs, um, which could be muscular tension, sweating, increased pulse rate. It uh, also is often a accompanied by a doubt concerning the reality or the nature of the threat, not knowing what's real and what is just perceived through the lens of anxiety. Um, And there's also oftentimes uh, a self-doubt about one's ability to cope with it um, or, or properly manage or think your way through it. Um, And then with trauma, The definition of trauma is a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury, right? This could be a car accident, a moment in time where things changed drastically for you physically. This can also be um, witnessing or experiencing mental and emotional abuse, neglect, other sorts of things that may happen over a longer period of time. So with that, um, when we experience those things, how does that really affect our body, right? That's what we want to get at today. So um, with acute stress, that stress that's momentary or short-term, such as um, meeting deadlines that are approaching very quickly or being stuck in traffic or suddenly slamming on the brakes when you're driving to avoid an accident. What happens in our body when we experience this is uh, there's an increase in our heart rates and there's stronger contractions of the heart muscle. Um, And then there involved in this process are those stress hormones, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol that act as messengers for these effects. So those are 
uh, produced in our bloodstream and then or they're put into our bloodstream and then we have those physical reactions to that sudden acute stress. So in addition to this, the blood vessels that direct blood to large muscles, right, like our legs, um, and in the heart, they dilate so that um, the amount of blood that is pumped to these parts of our body is increased. So this elevates our blood pressure. In an emergency, this is good because we want there to be a lot of resources directed into our legs to help us run away from whatever the threat is. Um, so this is what is happening during a fight or flight response. Then once the acute stress episode has passed, the body returns to its normal state. It reestablishes that equilibrium. The problem with this is that um, when we experience prolonged periods of stress, of anxiety or trauma, this creates long-term problems for the heart and blood vessels because they are working so much harder when those hormones are being produced in our bodies telling us that we are in danger, that there is something about what is happening in our lives that is not safe. So with consistent and ongoing increase in heart rate, in the elevation of the stress hormones and of the blood pressure, it does start to take its toll on the body. So um, what studies have shown is that there are increases in the risk of hypertension, of heart attack, or stroke. Uh, this may also contribute to inflammation in the circulatory system, particularly the coronary arteries, which is one pathway that may lead to a heart attack. Um, and then when someone is in a situation that is perceived to be challenging, threatening, or uncontrollable, the brain initiates a series of events involving what's called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the HPA axis. And there's a lot of science that goes into this. What you need to know for the purposes of today's episode is that this is the primary driver of your endocrine stress response. Um, this is what leads to the release of glucocorticoids like cortisol, your stress hormones. So cortisol is produced in your adrenal glands, which rest right on top of your kidneys. And what this does, what the cortisol does, is it increases the amount of energy fuel available to your body by pulling fatty acids from your liver. So this is where you find the energy to run from a saber-toothed tiger. Uh, or whatever stress response exists or stressor is existing to elicit the stress response in your body. Glucocorticoids are also important for regulating our immune system and reducing inflammation in our body. But what they find is that with chronic stress or anxiety, um, it results in an impaired communication between your immune system and the HPA axis, um, which they're finding is linked to many physical and mental health conditions, including chronic fatigue, metabolic disorders like diabetes and obesity, depression, and immune disorders like adrenal fatigue. In addition to that, in your gut, there are hundreds of millions of neurons that operate independently from your brain, and they are in constant communication with each other and with your brain. Um, this is where you feel the butterflies in your stomach when you get nervous. It's a two-way street. They influence each other. 
Also in your gut uh, lives tons of bacteria. Um, we're actually more bacteria than we are human cells in our body, and that's a good thing. We want diversity in our guts. Um, this affects mood and mental health, as well as a whole array of other things. So when we're under constant stress, this affects the balance of that gut bacteria. Um, and then when it goes too far out of balance, we start to experience gas, bloating, diarrhea, heartburn, candida overgrowth, leaky gut syndrome, autoimmune disease, all sorts of stuff. And I've talked a little bit about leaky gut through the lens of my own experience with it in previous episodes. Um, essentially, long-term inflammation in your gut leads to the breakdown of your um, intestinal lining. So you have tiny particles leaking out of your gut into your bloodstream. And this activates a autoimmune response. Um, your, for me, my body was having an allergic reaction to all sorts of things depending on that process there. Um, they've also found that this affects reproductive health. So you can see how when stress goes uncontrolled, it affects one thing which affects another thing, which affects another thing. So it's like a, a domino effect or a downward spiral. And this doesn't even talk about the ways in which we physically store trauma in our bodies, um, which is also worth investigating. Maybe we'll do that in a future episode. Um, but what I do want to be able to touch on today is really diving into what do we do about this? How do we reverse that? And this is where, uh, for me, in my own journey and the work that I do with clients, joy comes in quite a bit. We need to be able to laugh and smile and love and connect and appreciate and be appreciated because these are the moments in the emotions that will teach us and remind us again and again that we can heal, that we do deserve the light and help us remind us that it's not always negative or dark. It's not always going to be this way. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine not too long ago about this specific subject, and they brought up uh, Psalm 23.4 from the Bible. I'm not a hugely religious person, but I do really like that this was um, – something that was brought into our conversation. So if you're not familiar with it, Psalm 23.4 is the one that begins, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And um, more importantly, emphasize we walk through the valley. We're not meant to live there. We are designed to feel good. We have the capacity within us to seek out, to build joy, to heal, and to repair to varying degrees. So how do we reverse the effects of stress? So the first and maybe most obvious um, solution would be to reduce current stress and to make space in your life for that which will help bring more joy into your life. Um, set boundaries. Get comfortable with asking yourself and others to honor those boundaries, um, which can be hard depending on who you are asking to set those boundaries, right? Um, 
particularly if it's family members. Uh, and I think that a lot of us may or may not be experiencing that now, depending on how you are um, taking care of yourself and your family through a pandemic. There's lots of varying opinions out there about whether or not we should be wearing masks or whether this is really as bad as we think it is. And um, I know I'm not alone in being questioned or maybe on the receiving end of some sarcastic remarks when I ask people around me to respect that we are wearing masks and um, taking this seriously in in our home. So um, that's a really important one, though, because as you try and make space in your life, those boundaries are going to be challenged the bigger they get. Um, the other thing that I always recommend doing is scheduling time for this type of work, whatever that may look like, like you would a business meeting or a doctor's appointment. If part of reducing stress is making sure that you get three workouts in a week, whatever you define workout as, um, scheduling those in, in whatever way, shape, or form you track your schedule like you would at work, and really, really honoring that. Um, the other thing that I talk about a lot is the uh, stay in the just uncomfortable enough zone. If it makes you miserable or causes more stress, it's not actually going to heal any of the effects that stress has caused. It's going to make it worse, right? If you have stress-related illnesses and part of that is switching up your diet is part of your solution and you do a total kitchen overhaul and it's super overwhelming and it makes you miserable and you feel like you can't eat anything you enjoy, it's not actually going to be as healing or nourishing as you want it to. That might also be um, a place that I recommend bringing in support, people who do have experience with this to help guide you through that. But that's totally another subject for another time. Um, one of the big ones as well is to identify stressful people, habits, events, or triggers and eliminate them as best you can. Um, and this comes back to boundaries, right? Setting time limits on how much time you spend with those people that you absolutely can't avoid that do add more stress into your life. Looking at what habits you have, whether they're conscious habits or things that you do because that's just always how it's been done in your life and examining, does this help me? Does this move me towards my goals or is it setting me back a little bit more? So knowing the things that bring this up or that cause you more stress and really brainstorming before those situations arise or planning for how to reduce exposure or eliminate that exposure as best you can is really going to help you reduce your current stress and make space for the work, for the healing, for getting rid of those stress-related illnesses. So, um, 
The next big one, uh, particularly because prolonged stress has effects on the gut, is eating well and repairing gut health. Um, like I kind of hinted at before, I don't think you have to do this all at once, particularly if it's stressful or overwhelming to do so. Make it sustainable and accessible. Do one thing at a time until it feels like a regular part of your routine. Unless you have a doctor telling you that if you don't do it now, you're going to suffer even more or cause yourself permanent damage, there's no reason why you can't break it down and make this sustainable and accessible for you. At the very least, the one thing that I think everybody could benefit from and everybody's guts could benefit from is to eat the rainbow in whole foods. And I'm not talking about Skittles. I'm talking about different colors of vegetables and whole grains and fruits, making sure you're adding more of those into your diet. Again, it doesn't have to be a complete diet overhaul. Just pick one more new fruit or vegetable a week to start with until that becomes a routine and a habit and build from there. Um, the other thing outside of the way that you eat and feed your body food is looking at gut repair. And there's a lot of options on how to do this. Um, and they all depend on what your unique situation is. So before you do any of this, if gut health is a concern of yours, please do consult a medical professional. Um, some things to ask them about or to investigate for yourself, um, how probiotics might benefit. Um, they Probiotics, they are a living substance that contain a lot of that diverse gut bacteria that we want to encourage in order to have uh, greater gut health. Looking at collagen supplements, um, adding anti-inflammatory foods like ginger and turmeric into your diet to help reduce the inflammation that prolonged stress is going to cause also would help, and it's an easy thing to do on your own. Um, I cannot stress enough how much we need fiber in our diets. It's what keeps things moving instead of letting it sit there and ferment and cause bad inflammation, bad fermenting, like fermented foods, good. Foods fermenting in your gut, not so good. So having a blend of water-soluble and non-soluble fiber to help absorb some of that stuff out of there and move it right on through. In addition to that, reducing sugar intake, sleeping more, getting quality sleep, and drinking enough water is going to work wonders. Um, the other thing is what I call top-down, bottom-up processing, movement and mindfulness using the um, neocortex, the logical mind, and um, the parts of your brainstem that deal with instinct and movement. Um, engaging those together really helps reverse a lot of those, um, the, the effects that start in your brain as far as prolonged stress and anxiety go. I talk a lot about that in an earlier episode, talking about how stress and trauma affect the brain. So if that's something you're interested in hearing more about, go back to that episode um, because there is a lot to be gained there. Um, and then the other thing that I think we you know, underestimate a lot, and I referenced it before, but joy and social connection is so, so important. 
cultivating joy. Um, it's kind of a hot topic. We, I'm not talking about toxic positivity where you can't acknowledge the, the heavy or the negative parts. We need to sit with those too. I'm not saying to ignore them, but cultivating joy also helps promote a more positive outlook that can remind us what we're working towards and can actually help support us in making healthier choices. It also has been shown to boost immune system function, fight stress um, and pain, and supports longevity. So I don't think it's any secret right now to anybody that we are living in stressful times. And when we're able to cultivate a sense of joy and connection to that which is good, to that which we are grateful for, it mentally, physically, and emotionally makes us stronger, more resilient, better able to heal and repair. So joy is kind of like the secret sauce that pulls everything together. And I think one of the reasons why this is something that is so relevant right now um, and important to talk about is we are living in a pandemic that is um, increasing our levels of isolation. And what they have actually found in studies is that isolation is actually a bigger determining factor of longevity than pre-existing health conditions like diabetes or heart disease or anything else. The more isolated we are, the more it reduces our longevity. And, and I think it's so important to note. And if you know me, you know I'm a huge introvert, so I really value my alone time. However, our brains are wired for connection. They are, we want to and thrive off of and in environments where we feel a sense of belonging to a group or where we feel generally close to a person. Um, to the extent that scientists have identified this as a core psychological need, the sense of belonging is something that we need for true mental, emotional, and physical health. Our drive to connect with others is embedded in our biology and our evolutionary history. It begins at birth in our relationship with our caregiver. The ways in which we are cared for are the ways in which we go on to care for ourselves and others, and it informs the ways in which we seek out connections to others. So we have been wired from a very early age as far as what connection looks like, what it should be, how we should treat other people, how other people should treat us. And I think it's important to note that emotions and experiences tied to our social life register in our brain very similarly to the ways in which physical pain and pleasure too do as well. That is how much of a need it is for us, right? Um, to belong, to feel good, to feel joy. It registers the same way that pain and pleasure do in our brains. Um, and social connection is also reflected in some of the most basic ways we communicated pre-pandemic. Social or subtle uses of our voice, facial expressions, a sense of touch, all of those things are affected right now as most of our interaction is taken into a virtual setting. Um, 
Now, connecting with someone isn't always the same as getting along with somebody. Uh, this is kind of where we get the whole, uh, you are the five people you spend the most time with, right? So um, when studied, connection actually shows up in the areas of the brain that also establish a sense of closeness and trust and sincerity. Those areas of our brain light up like a Christmas tree. So this involves not only what we feel about others, but actually more so in thinking of what others feel. So it, it may appear that thinking about others' thoughts doesn't feel particularly different from certain kinds of analytical thinking, but what MRI research has actually shown is that there are two distinct networks that support social and non-social thinking in our brains, and that as one network increases its activity, the other one tends to quiet down. They are connected. It's a neural seesaw of sorts. So the fascinating thing is that when we finish doing some kind of non-social thinking, finishing a math problem as part of our homework, the network for social thinking automatically comes back on like a reflex, almost instantly. That is our general mode of operation right there, is in that social thinking area. So researchers have found that this reflex prepares us to walk into the next moment of our lives thinking about and focused on the minds behind the interactions and the actions of what we see from other people. So this is like evolution placing a bet that the best thing for our brain to do in any spare moment is to get ready to see the world socially. It is a major statement about the extent to which we were built to be social creatures. Um, in addition to this, the connections that we have also have an impact on our physical and mental health. Um, there have been a lot of studies done on this throughout the years. Um, one found that being in a negative relationship puts people at a higher risk of developing heart problems than, <clears throat> than those in healthy relationships. Uh, another study found that Women who are in relationships that have high levels of conflict tend to have similarly high blood sugar levels, high blood pressure levels, and high rates of obesity. Um, research has even found that hostile relationships slow down wound healing. Um, and there may be other physical repercussions too, primarily in the form of stress on your body that we talked about earlier. So constant tension or serious conflicts in relationships keep our body in fight or flight mode. So it's important to seek out connections that actually benefit you, that boost your mental and emotional health, where you are supported and seen and celebrated for who you are. Um, to seek out the joy because you are the people you spend your time with. How do we do that in a pandemic? I don't know that I have any solid answers for you other than to remind you that this is uncharted territory for all of us. There is no right or wrong here. And the ways in which you are finding connection with other people are just as valid as what anybody else is saying. Maybe that is logging onto Zoom and having a game night with your friends or putting some headphones in 
and calling your best friend and going for a walk around the neighborhood while you chat like you used to do. Maybe it is looking into Mighty Networks or meetup apps or Facebook groups or searching hashtags of things you're interested in on Instagram and making connections with other people. Um, because now more than ever, that connection to other people is going to help boost our health and is going to be one of the big reasons that or things in our tool belt to help us mitigate and reverse and heal this constant stress that we are under right now in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think any of us anticipated it lasting this long. So whatever you may have been doing when it began, when we were like, oh, if we just stay inside for two weeks, it'll go away. Those things aren't necessarily sustainable right now to seek out that connection. What is going to be sustainable? Maybe it's having a stitch and bitch via Zoom or um, starting a Marco Polo thread with family members so that you can send videos back and forth to each other and watch them when you're ready to and when you have the bandwidth and the space to really connect with what they're saying and respond to them in your own time. Whatever it is, I celebrate your effort and your curiosity in exploring that because as I've tried to say here, we're under a tremendous amount of stress and we deserve to feel good. And right now, part of that is really going to be emphasizing the ways in which we foster healthy social connections with other people. So that is my ramble today as I jump right back into this. If you have any questions, please comment below or reach out to me. I so look forward to putting more of these out here. So if there's anything that you want me to ramble on about, let me know because I'll, I'll talk. I know how to talk. I hope that no matter where you are as you're listening to this, you are well and that you are finding reasons for joy despite all the heaviness and chaos out there because you deserve to feel good. Until next time, have a fantastic day. You've been listening to me, Amber, and the Wild Joy Podcast. Come find me online on Instagram and Facebook as Wild Joy Amber, or reach out by sending an email to wildjoyamber at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in and stay healthy, my friends.